0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash/host.
1: We started to think that we needed to do something different to, to make some money out of properties.
0: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property developer Leslie Smith. Join us as she discusses her upbringing in the UK and how she saw potential in a property that was overlooked by everyone else. We also learn how moving to Australia got her started on her property journey, all that and more coming up. Smith works as a financial officer while developing properties on the side. She's also a mother so her day-to-day schedule is unsurprisingly full.
1: Uh, currently I usually drop my daughter off at school in the morning and then I come home and work for my employer um, or go into the office and then once I've done my hours for them Then I spend some time on background work for our investments, um, stuff at home, and then school pick-up time, it's time to pick my daughter up and move on to after-school activities. Um, She's very much into her dancing at the moment, so three times a week um, to the dance school, so I guess you could call me a dance mum. She's in the squad there, so we've got competitions and lots of practice and things to do, so dancing's the main focus at the moment.
0: Although Australia is a home now, Smith spent most of her life in England.
1: Um, I grew up in Southampton in the UK. Um, that's famous for being where the Titanic sailed from. Um, so I had a pretty normal childhood there really um, and went to school there. And then when I met my husband, um, we decided to emigrate to Australia. We could both see the opportunities and lifestyle that was offered over here. Um, So we moved here in 2004 and have been on the Sunshine Coast ever since. I was 33 when we moved over. We've been in Australia for nearly 17 years now, so almost half of the life in England.
0: (laughs) While you might imagine schools in England to resemble Harry Potter's Hogwarts, the reality is much more ordinary.
1: Schooling is a little bit different in England. Um, We have three three schools that you go to so we call it little school and then primary school or middle school and then uh, we call it senior school over there which is the equivalent of high school here so I went to the three different schools the little school seemed very tiny um now and i go back and see it um at the time it seemed really big that was literally just around the corner from our house um and then the middle school was a little bit further walk away um and then the senior school um, was about 20-minute walk from the house. So over there, you don't really get any choice of which school you go to. You just have to go to the, the local one um, unless you go to a private school. So it's a fair bit different to Australia. The distances um, for going to sort of local things in our area, everything was pretty close um, to where we lived. We we used the bus a lot where I grew up. Um so they I think the type of area ruined we then everything was either within walking distance or or you could catch a bus.
0: Smith shared a fond memory of her primary school days.
1: We used to have a school fair every year in the middle school which I enjoyed, enjoyed doing and um, we used to have a big raffle and I actually won the raffle one year so that was very exciting because the I don't know if they use them over here much, but you have like a drum barrel that spins around with all the raffle tickets in it. And it was jam-packed full. You could hardly pull any out. It was so full. And I was the lucky ticket to be drawn out first Um, and won a little black and white portable TV, um, which was very, very exciting at the time um, because I didn't have a TV in my room. So suddenly I had a a TV in my bedroom. So I felt um, very special with that. Um, And yeah, we had um, like in the senior school, we had a canteen that you could go along and and get food from, um, which was sort of quite nice food there. Um, Yeah, apart from that, I'm not really sure (laughs) what else was different over there really.
0: While Smith didn't come from a wealthy family, she inherited something more valuable than money her parents' work ethic and her grandfather's passion.
1: My mum and dad, they rented a lot before I was born Um, and then a few years before I was born, they were lucky enough to be able to purchase a house. Um, The local council were doing a scheme at the time um for people renting their properties to be able to buy uh, a house and they helped them with the mortgage um so by the time I was born mum and dad were in that house and I always remember them having a very hard work ethic um and the money wasn't there wasn't a lot of money in our household but they always made sure that the mortgage was paid first um, before anything else. And their goal was that by the time they retired, the mortgage would be paid off Um, and they achieved that. So I guess some from them, you know, I learned about budgeting and making your money work as well as you can for you. Um, They did have a number of investments, but they tended to invest in shares. Um, They never owned any other property. but they always saved money and saved before they bought anything rather than putting things on to credit. So that was another lesson that I learned from them. Um, My grandfather, he unfortunately died before I was born, but he was a master builder. Um, And I know that one of the things he liked to do was to have little projects on the go all the time with renovations and building houses. Um, So my mum's always said that I've probably... Inherited his genes for love and property and wanting to do things to property.
0: Although she was unaware of most of her family's financial situation, the things she did know about shaped her motivations for the future.
1: I guess my mum and dad always saw bricks and mortar as being um, a good investment. And as I say, you know, they spent a lot of time and energy making sure that they had their own house. Um, I think also just the... Um, whole thing about wanting to make life secure for ourselves um, and not having to rely on our jobs. Um, My dad was made redundant a few times while I was a child um, and I know that those were hard times for the family. So I guess I can see from that that it's not good just to rely on one source of income. Um, So to have multiple streams and um, the ability to be able to create some other income if something happens to your main main source of income um, became important to me. I mean, as a child, I was sort of shielded from a lot of it, but, you know, you could sort of tell that that money was tight in the household. Um, My mum was very good at at housekeeping and um, making sure that we always had good meals on the table, but I know that it was was a struggle for her.
0: When she finished high school... She pursued further education.
1: It's actually um, very lucky because we had a good college in Southampton. So when I left school, I went to that college um, and then after a few years, I progressed to a higher education college um, and I decided that I wanted to go more into management well um, So... I was actually lucky that the next college that did that type of diploma was actually uh, only about a 45 minute drive from our house. So I could just commute there and back. So I never did the whole university living away from home um, thing. I didn't really see the point in moving out from home if I didn't need to. and my mum and dad were happy for me to stay at home and looked after me. So um, I was very fortunate in that way. So all my um, working career before we came to Australia was in Southampton um, and lived lived local. to When I moved out from home eventually, it was only sort of 10 minutes away from my mum and dad. So um, all very local.
0: She explained what the next few years looked like for her.
1: When I left um, senior school, I decided I wanted to, work in hotels Um, so I went to the local college and did a qualification which covered all different areas of the hotel so from the cooking through to housekeeping to reception to the finance Um, and I really enjoyed that industry Um, when I even during the the college I was working part-time in restaurants and hotels and then when I finished the college course I Worked full time in a hotel, um, and that's when I decided to to go on and do the management qualifications. Um, I stayed in hotels for another couple of years, and then I realised that the the hours really weren't very good for me. Um, having to work late at night and uh, up early again the next morning um, really really didn't suit me in the end. So I moved from there and started working in offices. Um, And then I was fortunate enough to go and work for a large company who helped me move into their finance department. And that's when I um, started training as an accountant because I really enjoyed numbers I'd worked out by then. Um, And obviously that was very helpful to them as well. So um, yeah, so they paid for me to go through my accountant's qualification Um, and I stayed working with them until we we moved to Australia. So I was quite sad to leave them because they were a very good company to work for. Um, but the the skills that I learned from um, being at college and working in hotels um, stood me in good stead for my working life going forward, because it's always good to learn how to deal with people. Um, and the pressure in hotels of you know, having to deal with so many customers at once and things like that, that was all, all good learning for me. Um, and I think one other thing with my work and life is that I've always not really had a definite idea on what I wanted to do. Um, I kept it very fluid. So when people talk about goals for like one year, five year, 10 year, I always struggle to answer that question because I'm like, well, I just want to see Where life's going to take me i don't want to define myself by saying i want to go down this path um because you just don't know what other opportunity is going to come along um and and that's what worked for me because say moving from hotels into accountancy um and then doing the property investing it's all very different pathways
0: while most people don't pick their careers via a tv show Smith was inspired by one specific show at a young age.
1: We had a TV program in England called Crossroads, which was all about a motel. I don't know if you ever had that on television over here, did you? Um, and My mum used to love watching that every afternoon and I used to watch it with her and um, I guess that planted the seeds of what i wanted to do when i was a child i didn't really know what i wanted to do when i left school and i think somebody just asked me one day and i'd just been watching the crossroads program so i said "Oh, i want to go in hotel reception um and then that sort of stuck with me ever since after that um also i guess coming from the the um type of household that we had with money being tight um we didn't really have money to stay in fancy hotels um we used to go camping for our holidays mum mum and dad loved um taking me away every holidays and we did travel a lot with the with the tent um but we didn't stay in fancy hotels very often so i think also leaving school i thought all right probably can't afford to stay in one so i'll go and work in one and then i'll be in that fancy hotel environment
0: since most of her personal journey occurred in the uk smith didn't start her property journey until she moved to queensland australia
1: when I was in England, my brother was working uh, for a rental agency at the time, and he did try and encourage me to buy a rental property while I was living at my mum and dad's. Um, you know, he said it would be a very good investment, and he would manage it for me um, to sort of start getting onto the property ladder. But at that point in time, um, I was quite happy living at home, and I was I was had started saving up for a deposit for myself to buy a property. And I remember saying to him, well, if I buy a property, I want to go and live in it myself. I don't want to rent it to somebody else. Um, Looking back now, I can see the sense in what he was saying um, and that it would have been a smart move to have had an an investment property while living at mum and dad's because I would have had income coming in, um, in the best of both worlds. Um, But hindsight is good. But I guess, um, yeah, he planted the seeds of the idea into my head. Um, And then when we came to Australia, um, we decided to buy an investment property because we realised that a lot of people in Australia do own investment properties. Um, In England, it's quite unusual. Um, People just tend to own their own property. um, And it's only the very rich who have a second property or more um, as investment properties. So, it wasn't really the norm over there. Uh, Coming to Australia, we could see that a lot of people did have a second property Um, so I guess we just followed the crowd with that. We had some spare income so we decided to to buy our first investment property um, and create that second income stream.
0: It's safe to say that if Smith never moved to Australia, she wouldn't have gotten into property. So how did she make that life-changing decision?
1: It was yes, definitely a big decision to come over. Um, I think for myself and my husband, before we'd met each other, we both had ideas about coming to Australia. Now, when I was working in the hotel, said so I always ended up working in Southampton and never had to move anywhere else for a job. Um, but the hotel industry is quite fluid as well and you can get a job anywhere if you want to travel you can get a job anywhere in England or anywhere in Europe anywhere in the world so I had it in the back of my head that at some point I would like to travel the world a little bit and work in hotels in other countries and Australia was on my bucket list um, and for my husband as well he he had designs to come to Australia to live as well so when we met, I guess we both, um, sort of compatible that we, we both liked the idea of coming to Australia. Um, we did have a couple of trips to start off with. We came over for a month's trip one time and we both absolutely loved the country then, um, and went home to England and started thinking about, wouldn't it be nice to live in Australia? Um, In the meantime, my brother emigrated over here um, with his wife as all her family were here. Um, So we came over for our honeymoon in December 2002 um, because I really wanted to see how I would cope with the summer. Um, because uh, in England when we have a hot day, it is a very hot day and because the buildings aren't really designed for hot weather, um, I did need to suffer a little bit over there. So I said, well, I'm not moving over there unless I can see whether I can cope with the summer. So we came over for our honeymoon. Um, I did end up with heat stroke one day because I spent too long in the sun, um, but I learned from that. And um, by the end of the trip, I absolutely loved it here and I just didn't want to go, go back to England again. Um, But we did go back and then we started really being serious about putting an application to move over here. We just loved everything about Australia. We loved the people, the climate, um, the unusual wildlife. um, And we loved the Sunshine Coast that my brother was living on at the time. Um, And so we decided to, to take the plunge and actually live over here. And we could see the opportunities were much better. The lifestyle was much better. Um, and you know, we were still young enough then to make the most of it over here.
0: Eventually, everything fell into place and Smith found a job that would give her the income she needed to start property development.
1: And I was very lucky because when we were in England looking at coming across to Australia, um, I was looking at jobs available and I could see that there were lots of um, analyst-type jobs which was what I was doing at that time um, so I thought, oh yeah, this will be fine. Um, Now, one thing with people from England, we tend to underestimate the distances between towns and cities in Australia um, because England is so much smaller. And um, when we actually moved to Australia, um, we found a house very quickly to buy um, within the first three days of being here, Um, put a contract on it, and we're going to move in three weeks later and I suddenly went oh hang on a minute so we're going to have bills to pay I better get we'd better get jobs Um, so when I actually started looking uh, for jobs I quickly realized that all the jobs for the type of role that I'd been doing in the UK um, were down in Brisbane which is about an hour hour and a half drive from us and I really hate driving that much. So I'm like, oh, I don't really want to go to Brisbane every day. So I spoke to an agency um, and they said the same thing. Yeah, they said, with your skills, you'll need to go to Brisbane to get a job. Um, but then just out of the blue, they phoned me a couple of days later. So we've had a job just come in, which might be ideal for you. Now in England, I'd been working for a large hardware company called B&Q, which are very similar to Bunnings. Um, and I really wanted to stay in that sector doing the accounting because I'd learned a lot while I was working for them. Um, And she said, by chance, there was a small hardware store up on the Sunshine Coast who were looking for somebody to help them with their finance. So it was perfect for me. Um, So I went along for the interview and they took me on for that job and they've had a few changes in the meantime, but basically I'm still working for... um, the company that took over the shop after a couple of years, so I'm still with them now. So that um, that worked really well. So I really enjoy what I do, and um, the the roles changed a fair bit over the years, but I'm still doing the accounting, um, the accounting work for them, um, just sort of different capacities. But um, I still in, enjoy it, and yeah, they're a good company to work for. So that worked really well. So I was very lucky to be able to get a job in the local area doing what I love to do.
0: Her first venture into property didn't go as well as planned but it's important to remember that everything happens for a reason.
1: So, we arrived in 2004 and bought our own property. 2006, we started looking around for an investment property um, and found one that wasn't far from where we live, just five minutes up the road, cause we like to keep everything local if we can. Um, and it seemed a good buy. It was a four-bedroom, two-bathroom house um, on, on an estate, so we knew it would be easy to rent out. Um, so we bought that property. Um, And we had that for quite a few years, Um, but we realised that it wasn't really making a lot of money for us um, in capital growth um, because of being on estate and there were lots of new sections opening up. So there was lots of new land around, which made the old land, if you like, um, not coming up in value that much. So We started to think that we needed to do something different to to make some money out of properties. Um, We found a local mentoring group, um, which was run by Michael Knights at that time. Um, And we went along to a few of his sessions and thought he could really help us with what we wanted to do. So we joined his mentoring group and he gave us lots of good advice Um, and we ended up finding we started looking at the prospect of doing more development side of things rather than just buying a property rent it out hold on to it do a little bit of painting every few years and then sell it on because see that that really wasn't going to make us much money at all um, so he helped us look at the bigger picture and what was possible to do um, we found a little two-bedroom house in the centre of town um, one day, which was up for sale, deceased estate. Um, And I think people were driving past it. I saw the sign outside and it did say uh, possible development site, but I think a lot of people were just driving past it because it was a little bit unloved. It was a bit shabby, the garden was overgrown and people really couldn't see what was beyond that. I sort of in my mind stripped away all the trees <laughs> and could see that there was space down the side of the house to put in a driveway to the back. Um, and when we looked up the zoning and everything, it was possible to put a townhouse in the garden, pretty much. <laughs> um, so, so we purchased the, the house and we set about putting in the application for for putting the townhouse in the back and we would never have attempted that type of project um, with the help of somebody mentoring us and Michael was great for helping us see what what the possibilities were there. Um, Then we ended up with a good team around us, town planners and a builder and they all helped us sort of achieve the project Um, and we ended up living in the back house for a while Um, and then we sold both properties a few years later um, and then we sort of looked around at other projects and then we sort of got a taste for, for what could be done. It was definitely profitable. Um, some of the profit came from the market shift during the time that we owned it because we, we had it for about five years before we sold it. Um, but I definitely think that some of the profit came, came from what we did add in value to the, the site as well.
0: The property was a subdivision with a shared driveway, so it needed more than one title.
1: It was some medium density zoning. Um, The project we actually did, they call a small lot subdivision. So the land wasn't subdivided totally into two titles. Um, There there were, we did, we ended up strata titling it. So each property had its own title, but as a strata title. And then there was body corporate um across the common area which was the driveway which the front house could use and the back house
0: once the property was done they thought about keeping it but in the end it didn't suit their needs
1: we did think about holding on to it and when we um originally did the project we did think that we would hold on to it for a a number of years um but we got to a point where the townhouse was feeling a little bit small for us we had our daughter and you know at kids alike with lots of toys and things Um, and to be honest we loved the location because it was really close to town Um, but other people had had the same idea as us and were starting to build up around us and we were feeling a little bit um, hemmed in there so we decided that we'd like to move on and um, it was time for a bigger house for us and a different location where there was more open space So. We um, started looking at other properties um, around the area and we were lucky enough to get into an area near the beach, which we'd been wanting to get into for a long time. Um, and a sort of little old beach shack came up for sale that um, needed lots of TLC. Um, so we were able to get that at a good price, but we did have to sell those two properties to be able to get it. So. I guess it was a a personal choice to give us our personal lifestyle that we wanted. So we sort of sacrificed those two properties to do that.
0: Although Smith is very successful, she's no stranger to adversity. She says some of her worst investment decisions.
1: We purchased a townhouse which was um, off the plan, um, an estate that was starting to be... um, developed, I guess. Um, so, we thought, oh, that's a nice idea. Get a townhouse there, add to our portfolio. This was um, around about the same time that we were buying the property in town. Um, we were told at the time that the value was expected to increase by 40,000 before it was even um, finally built for us. So, we thought, well, that's a good good proposition to Put contracted off the plan, um, and then by the time the property's built, so six months, twelve months later, we've already made forty thousand without any money down. sounded good. Um, yeah, unfortunately, because of the way that um, property prices went in the area, and there were lots of new builds going on at the time, um, or land was opened up, um, that increase didn't happen, and it just really plateaued and was only worth what we'd paid for it by the time we settled on it. Um, it And it took quite a few years before it did increase by the 40,000. So we sort of took that as our sign to sell it on at that point and make the 40,000 that that we were happy with. Um, but that was a little bit disappointing. And I guess sort of lesson learned to um, not really um, listen to sort of predictions at the time to look at what's around and, not expect things to, to increase by that much. Um, the the second worst investment we made was that we bought some managed funds just a few weeks before the GFC hit. Um, and we actually took on a second mortgage to do that. We decided we had to spare cash. It's like, yeah, let's take on a mortgage, put it in the shares and we don't have to do anything with them. You know, It's not like a property where you have to do stuff. We thought we'll, we'll have a little go at the dip our toes in the water with shares and unfortunately, a few weeks later, GFC came along and they plunged to 50% of what we'd bought them for. So, that was quite a lot of $1,000 wiped off in one go. And obviously, we were still paying the mortgage for the full amount. Um, and it took those good eight years before they were even anywhere close to what we'd originally paid for them. Um, so, the lesson we learned from that was that even safe investments um, aren't always safe. So, it's, uh, it's all a bit of a gamble, whatever you do.
0: However, out of hard times come wise words. Here's the advice that she'd give to anyone currently in a bad investment.
1: Expect the unexpected and I guess to always make sure that um, you can cope if things don't work out so well. So, we were lucky with the shares, we were able to still pay the mortgage that we had on them. Um, if we'd sort of taken on more than we could afford, then we could have been stuck. But, you know, we were able to cope with it um, and with the townhouse, it was covering its costs while we owned it. So it wasn't really costing us money. Um, yeah, so you just have to always be mindful of what the worst outcome could be.
0: While she's experienced the downside of investing, she's also had some eye-opening moments.
1: But the aha moment, I think, was when we realized what um, our mentors were saying to us. Um, so we joined another mentoring group, um, Young Newens one in Brisbane uh, a couple of years ago. And one thing he always says to us is to give people the opportunity to say yes. Um, and I think with the project that we did at Wimbai that we... Sort of learned that that is the case. If you give people the opportunity to say yes, then you can get somewhere and, and move on with your your journey.
0: Smith explains how she came across the subdivision property that doubled her income.
1: We actually found off market, so we went to see a different um, property with the agent, um, but that one wasn't suitable for what we wanted to do. So we were talking to him and explaining what we wanted to do with subdivisions. And he said, Oh, he said, I might have another property that might be of interest to you. So I've been talking to the owners. They don't want to put it on the market yet, but if somebody comes along, they're happy to talk. So we went along to see that one. um, and that one was the one that we ended up doing at Wimbai. Um, so he negotiated with the owners for us and and we put the contract in in on it and we could see that it, it could be subdivided. It had its challenges, um, but it was a really good one for, for learning from because it did give us a lots of, lots of challenges. We put in an offer for it and they accepted the offer after a little bit of negotiating backwards and forwards. Um, and then we had the building and pest report done um, and that came up with a few things that uh, needed to be sorted out there that we hadn't realized um, on the maintenance side and stuff. So we ended up um, asking for a $16,000 drop in the price.
0: Smith knew it was a bold ask but she was still hopeful.
1: I knew that we were being very cheeky asking for that, um, but I had it in the back of my mind what Young says about giving the opportunity to say yes. If you don't ask, they can't say yes. So I was sort of like cringing when we were giving the agent the news that we wanted to drop 16000 um, He went and spoke to them. Obviously, they weren't very impressed with that. They would have liked to have kept the offer with what it was, um, but they did end up agreeing to an $8,000 drop. So, we were very happy with that because I thought they would come back, sort of say, nah, it's no, it's an old property, you know, go away. <laughs> you can pay what, what you want to pay for it and that's it. So, yeah, if we hadn't have um, asked for that discount, then we wouldn't have got anything. So
0: Here's how they secure the bold offer and how you can too.
1: We showed them the building and pest report and we pointed out the things that that needed doing in it. Um, the biggest one I guess was the retaining wall. There was already a retaining wall there. Um, and We knew that we'd have to re-engineer it um, as part of the development approval, um, but the existing retaining wall wasn't a very bad state of repair. Um, and in the end they agreed that if somebody else had bought the property that were looking to live there they would still have to do some work on the retaining wall and it would still cost them a lot of money to do that so we were prepared to take an $8,000 discount because we knew we had to do something with it and we'd already sort of allowed for that in our figures Um, whereas if they'd sold it to somebody who wanted to own it and live there, they might have asked for a lot more discount because it was going to cost a lot more than $8,000 to fix it even just for somebody living there. Um, and there were some other maintenance issues as well. So, we just pointed them all out to them, um, even some of the more minor ones, um, to back up the reason why we were asking for 16000
0: So, just how well did the property do?
1: Uh, we purchased it for five hundred fifty thousand. Um, it ended up costing us about um, eight hundred sixty in total. So three, just over three hundred thousand in development costs. Um, that's including everything: the um, civils, the engineers' fees, town planners' fees, um, absolutely everything. Um, and then we sold the land for 320 and the house for 537 um so we ended up making I'm not sure if i got this figures right actually but we ended up making about 60,000 profit out of it so we were we were happy with that
0: and how long did the process take
1: we actually signed the contract in january last year so, 2020, and we settled on the 10th of March, 2020, just before everything went belly up with COVID. So, I think you can imagine you mentioned about having problems with the development in COVID era. Um, you can imagine how we felt just going in for our first subdivision, knowing all the costs ahead. Um just before COVID. So we really didn't know what we were letting ourselves in for. Um, but we were quite philosophical, it. We knew it was a good property and could be rented out. So we thought, well, we'll just see how it goes. Go with the flow again. And if we have to keep renting it out for a while before we do the project, um, we'll do that. We'll just see, you know, what happens. It did take us quite a few weeks to get tenants in there because everybody just, was staying at home no tenants were wanting to move anywhere um and yeah we did struggle to get a tenant which was probably the worst part of it um it took us a couple of months to get tenants in there so we were starting to get a little bit nervous at that point of what was going to happen um but once the tenants were in uh we started cracking on with um all the we'd already put in the application everything we got everything come. Um, sorted during the contract time so that as soon as we settled, we were ready to put the application into the council. So we kept everything moving along as quickly as we could um, with our fingers paused on the pause button, ready to sort of stop if if we needed to, if COVID, you know, put a stop to things. so then we were able to get all the civils done. Again, we had a great team around us. The engineers, town planners, the civil contractors just all worked together very well. Um, and we just really left them to it a lot of the time and they got stuff sorted. Um, and then we finished all the civils around September time. Um, yep, we started to pull it for sale at the end of October and we got contracts contract on both the house and the land in um, the middle of December.
0: Despite the COVID-19 setbacks, it was still a great outcome.
1: And they both settled in February. So if you want to take it from the point of view, when we signed the contract, that was just over 12 months or about 13 months for the project from start to finish. Um, so that was really good. I think we were lucky that we were doing the council part in the early part of COVID. Um, I think a few, if it had been two or three months down the line, I think people were starting to struggle with getting um, getting the answers back and the final approvals back from council. So I think we were very lucky with our timing.
0: Smith and her husband have hopes of developing more properties in the future.
1: We'd like to do another project um, if we can. We we have taken a little bit of a back seat at the moment. We're helping other people with their projects, some um, investing some money to keep the the money moving, um, and to help them. But we we are just um, waiting to see at the moment what good projects come along. Um, we where we are on the Sunshine Coast, the property market has been absolutely on fire the last few months and it seems to be ramping up with no signs of stopping. Um, when you're driving around, you see a for sale sign up within a few days, that changes to a sold sign. So you have to be very quick um, with what you're getting and it's it's quite difficult at the moment to get things off market um, and to get them a good price because everybody's just trying to get the best price that they can. Um, so we're just waiting our time at the moment. We've got quite a few things going on. Um, personally with renovations around the house and stuff so we're just concentrating on that at the moment and then we'll come back into the the property projects um, when we feel ready for it.
0: motivation is a key element to smith's success
1: our main motivation is to create a secure life for ourselves and our daughter um, she's learning a lot from it like being a child she doesn't always understand why we've got to go to open houses or why we've got to go to that Wimboy property again on a Saturday morning when she just wants to stay at home and do her thing Um, but she is learning a lot from it as well and she's learning the work ethic and that you have to work for your money Um, and it's dependent on what you put in what you get out the harder you work the more you're going to get out of something, um, whether that is money or enjoyment or, or whatever. Um, she actually, it was quite funny because when we joined Young's programme, um, he used to give us homework at the start to do. And one of the things she had to do was list 10 ways that you could make money other than your normal job. And my daughter was like, what are you doing, mummy? What are you doing? And I sort of explained to her what I was doing. Oh, I'm going to do that as well, she said. And she got a piece of paper and she started thinking and writing. And at that time, she was only nine. Um, But she came up with a fantastic list and lots of things that were out of the box that you wouldn't really expect a, a child to sort of think of. Um, and I thought that was like a really good thing for her to be starting to think out of the box and think about other ways of doing things and you don't just have to go to your nine-to-five job. Um, you can do other things as well.
0: Smith and her husband learned a lot from books in their mentor.
1: My husband tends to read the books more than I do. Um, I just got my head buried in spreadsheets all the time. So we <laughs> tend to split the roles that way. Um, there was one very good book that he felt very inspired by. Um, It was called Start Now, Get Perfect Later by Rob Moore. And after he'd read that book, um, he was like, we've got to get a property, we've got to get this, we've got to do this, we've got to get into it. Um, This was after we'd been on Young's programme for a little while and we had been looking and couldn't find the right thing. But I think um, you can spend a lot of time looking for the perfect project and then you pass by other ones that potentially could give you lots of learnings and some money as well. Um, And it is a very difficult balance to make sure that the one you're getting isn't going to be an absolute flop and that you're just going to get learnings out of it and no money. Um, But it was really after reading that book um, that we put the impetus on really trying to find a property. And then when the one by one came up, um, we could see that there were options there. So you talked about the extra exit strategies earlier. We could see that there were quite a few exit strategies for it. Um, and although the money that we were going to make from doing the subdivision, we knew by the time we did the due diligence period, um, it wasn't going to be fantastic money. Um, you know, Young always likes you to look at doing around 20% return um, to be safe in the project. Um, And we knew by the when we first started looking at it, it looked like it was going to return 20%. By the end of the due diligence, it looked like it was going to return about 12%. Um, But for our situation, we were prepared to take the plunge and give it a go um, and use Rob's philosophy from his book of start now, get perfect later. Um, We're glad that we did the project. Obviously, we don't know what other opportunities we missed out on by doing this one. While um, it was quite a challenging one, being a sloping block um, and the retaining wall and a few other sort of features of the engineering on it, so it was very challenging. But it did offer lots of learning for us. Um, and now having come out of this one, so we came out with sixty thousand. I think I got my figures wrong earlier, which isn't. Very good, being a numbers person, but I think the costs were actually around two fifty. Um, yeah, so we made sixty thousand, um, which to us that that worked out about eight percent in the end. So it wasn't a huge profit compared to what a lot of people make out of projects, um, but we think coming through the COVID year, um, we were very happy to make that amount of money because at the start of last year sort of by March time, nobody really knew how the future was going to look, did they? Um, so, we were happy to come out of it and the learnings that we've learned from it will take into the next project and we know that our next project is going to be so much better and smoother because of what we've learned from this one. So, that was absolute gold.
0: In hindsight, Smith wishes she had been braver early on in her journey.
1: I think I would have said to myself to not be afraid to give it a go um and to give people the opportunity to say yes. Um I think ten years ago we weren't so confident at um putting ourselves out there and asking for things um and asking people to give us a go and to you know get properties cheaper, all that type of stuff. Um and I think also to try not to let opportunities pass by. There have been some opportunities, particularly in property, um, that we were too cons- scared, I guess, to, to go into. Um, and I think, you know, looking back, and again, hindsight's good. We know now that they uh, might have been a good investment, so hindsight's always good. But I guess not to beat yourself up about the things that haven't gone so well.
0: Smith shares what she's looking forward to in a property development journey.
1: I think the endless opportunities that there are in property. um, And as as I mentioned earlier, the way that I've always looked at things in my life is for it to be a fluid pathway and not to become fixed on we must do things this way. This is what's going to happen. This is where I'm going to be in five years. Um, So again, with the property, we sort of take opportunities as they come. Um, not to become fixated on I'm only going to do subdivisions or I'm only going to do renovations. Um, again, it's a fine balance because you can then end up uh, being jack of all trades and just jumping around from here to there and, and not learning just the skill sets that you need properly. So you have to be careful of that, um, but to also take opportunities as they come along and not not let them pass, pass us by.
0: Leslie, you've shared a great story. You've been along on this property journey and also the developments that you've done as well. How much of it do you think is because due to intelligence, hard work and skill and how much of it do you think is because of
1: luck? I think there is an element of luck involved. Um, sometimes timing goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, a lot of it's probably about being in the right place at the right time. So, with our by project, we would never have known about it unless we went to the other property inspection with that agent. Um, a lot of it, I'm not sure necessarily about skill, um, but I think a lot of it is listening to the advice of other people that know better than you. So, so we've had some great mentors along the way um, and In Young's group, there's a lot of other experienced people doing properties, so we've been learning off of them as well. Um, And if you take their advice, then they've done it all before, they've made the mistakes. So you're less likely to make those mistakes. Um, You can still make mistakes, and you do still have to make your own mistakes to a certain extent to be able to learn from them. But I think it's just all about surrounding yourself with the right team as well so we were very lucky um maybe it was luck but the town planners that we used all those years ago doing the the uh the strata title property in town um we've stuck with them all the way through so we've got a good relationship with them now and they put us in touch with the engineer she's been very good as well Um, And then she put us in touch with the civil contractor. So, everything just fell into place. So, you could say there was an element of luck involved in that, um, element of choosing the right people and really um, listening to them and taking their skills and expertise on board and letting them do what they're skilled at. Um, And then we just sort of uh, made it all happen, I guess. You know, we were just there. Um, putting the money in and, and helping sort of coordinate it all.
0: Thank you to our guest Leslie Smith for sharing her amazing story on Property Invest Story.